The Cannabis Conversation. A European perspective on the emerging legal cannabis industry. So welcome back to The Cannabis Conversation. Thanks to those of you who tuned in last week, and for those of you who are new to the show, welcome. I'd just like to do a couple of quick thank yous to people that have helped me get the show off the ground. I'd like to thank the lovely Victoria Byrne, who did the voiceover on the theme music. I'd like to thank Luke Hill, who composed the 60s sinister spy music that I'm using as the theme. And I'd also like to thank John V. Harrier, who designed the logo. Got a great episode today about cannabis and the law, so let's crack on. Okay, today I have Nick Davis from Memory Crystal on the show. Nick is CEO of Memory Crystal, which is a specialist international law firm based in London. Memory Crystal are taking quite an active role in the nascent cannabis industry, so it's great to have Nick on to help us understand the legal and regulatory backdrop. Nick, welcome. Good morning, how are you? Very good, thanks. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. So there's obviously a lot to talk about today, but you know, cannabis has been in the news a lot over the last year, Probably, maybe a bit longer. Um, what's what's actually happening in terms of the legal status in the UK at the moment? The market's in its very early stages. And actually, the law has moved super quickly in the last 12 months. But if you cast your mind back 12 months, which in cannabis years is a very, very long time, medical cannabis wasn't legal. That happened, as you know, in November, and we'll come on to that. So Sitting here this time last year, we were trying to list an investment company. We needed to get comfortable on what they could and what they couldn't do. We found a barrister that we worked very closely with, and we very quickly got to the point where we were comfortable that CBD, which is CBD is extracted predominantly from hemp. Cannabis is two different plants, hemp and cannabis. Hemp is used to produce non-psychoactive CBD. It doesn't have any of the THC in it, which is the psychoactive part, which was banned by the Psychoactive Substances Act. So CBD, low-hanging fruit as far as UK law was concerned because of a very clear path that it was being marketed as a health supplement. A complex area, which we'll come back to. But So we went, we got comfortable that as long as what the company were doing and investing in was legal in the UK, it was legal. Subsequently, the law has been clarified around medical cannabis. So we see cannabis in four distinct areas from a legal point of view. Starting at the, the full end of the spectrum, you've got GW Pharma producing pharmaceuticals where the API, the active pharmaceutical ingredient, is a cannabinoid. That is Sativex, that is the other licensed products, that is covered in the same way as any other medical product. And these are these are pharmaceutical-grade products that have gone through all of the trials necessary to get rubber stamped in that way? That's correct. And big news earlier in the year, the FDA in the States approved Sativex uh, for GW, who used to be listed here in London on AIM and moved to the New York Stock Exchange and have had the most amazing ride and are currently the only company in the world with an FDA-approved drug. Right. So that's the farmer end of the spectrum. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got recreational, or as they now call it, adult market, completely legal in Canada, legal in a number of states in the US, federally illegal, illegal across most of Europe and in particular the UK. 
And so that's very clear. Mm-hmm. So the non-intoxicating CBD, and we're working with a number of CBD companies, and we'll come back to that. CBD, pretty clear, although there is some legal issues around novel foods, European standards, not yet very clear. There's been two mainstream stories in the press. One is about an investment company listed on Next called Sativa Investments, who seem to have got planning permission and a license for a very large medical cannabis facility. Fantastic. Based in the UK? Based in the UK, in Wiltshire. What most people don't know that will be listening to the podcast is the UK is the biggest producer of medical cannabis in the world for GW Pharma in Kent and Essex, and nobody knows about it. <laughs> so that was interesting. But at the other end, the Daily Mail, who I have to say have undoubtedly a political agenda around this, published a story saying all CBD products were going to be removed from the shelves for the next 18 months because of this new novel foods directive. I can't see any legal footing around that, but it's moving all the time. So mm-hmm. you can see this is a, a dynamic area. But as far as I'm concerned, CBD, legal, you can buy it in Boots, you can buy it in Holland and Barrett, you can buy it all over the place. And then you've got this fourth area called medical cannabis. And medical cannabis is not pharmaceutical-grade Stativex. It is formulations or flour, which is used by doctors to treat medical conditions. So as yeah, as we all know, or those of you who've been following the space, the Alfie Dingwall case, the Billy Caldwell case, that was a medical cannabis prescription. And that's either in the form of oils or flour that's vaped or put into tea. Medical cannabis, November the 1st, clarified in the UK is legal. However, the rollout's been a disaster. Mm. And is that effectively because not enough people can get it prescribed? Yes. Because the rules aren't... Because the rules are not clear. Yeah. It's really interesting. My... I speak to a number of doctors and we're quite involved on the lobbying side here and we're certainly involved with trying to help the MHRA get to, that's the Medical Health Regulatory Authority, get to the right landing of what medical cannabis needs to look like in the UK. And the guidance that's currently there is it has to be prescribed by a specialist and lots of the specialist governing bodies have basically said there's no proof that this works and therefore we don't think you should do it, notwithstanding the body of evidence that is out there. It's not clinical evidence mm. in the same way you go through a phase one, phase two, phase three trial of a new drug. So actually, since medical cannabis was legalised 1st November, there seems to be less patients able to get prescriptions. You can see why podcasts like this are really important, but fundamentally why did we as a law firm get involved in this we got involved in it because i 100 percent believe in the ability for medical cannabis to change people's lives that's great and look it's business we're a law firm what do we want to do we want to help companies raise money grow list on the stock exchange get bought get sold but i think most of the people you meet in the industry all have come to it for a personal reason and it's really fascinating and um so there's lots of like-minded people. I don't think you could be in this space right now and just say, we're here because we want to make money. That will come undoubtedly mm-hmm. because of what's happened in North America. But I think there's a pretty small community in the UK at the moment, and we're all pushing in the same direction. So there's several very interesting things that you raised in that, that kind of summary, and thank you for that. I guess the first one, which is probably going to be a bit of a surprise to some listeners, is is that the, the UK 
it produces the most yeah. medical cannabis in the world by a company called GW Pharma. How, how exactly does that work? Are they so? In order to grow cannabis in the UK, you have to get a license from the Home Office. Okay. Anyone can apply for one. It's a £5,000 licence fee. It's a hugely complicated process. We're doing it for two clients at the moment, just at the beginning of our learning curve. But there's a clear set of guidelines. You need to have a farm. You need to, there's approved seeds that you can use to grow cannabis, and you can apply for either a hemp licence, and we'll come back to this strange legal position around hemp and the processing of hemp flour in a minute. Or you can apply for a full narcotics licence, a restricted license. GW have a number of licenses. They've had them for many years and they're growing medical cannabis in vast quantities. However, primarily for the US market or only for the US market? Well, the drug's been approved now in the US and in the UK. Very few prescriptions written in either market yet. So Canada, the US, the UK, the whole of Europe products are available. They're very expensive and there is this interesting interplay between medical cannabis that we talked about and their pharmaceutical product, because actually you can replicate their pharmaceutical products using CBD and THC at a fraction of the cost of the, you know, the pharma drug. However, doctors are going to be much more comfortable prescribing the pharmaceutical, I think, in the short term than they will medical cannabis. Yes, thank you. One of the, I guess, it kind of springs from that question is around this area of medical cannabis which you told us about is one of the four buckets that, that kind of exist are there any other analogies or analogous medicines that are not pharmaceutical grade but would sit in a similar sort of level to medical cannabis it's a it's a unique situation yeah human beings have been using cannabis as a medicine since the beginning of time yeah if you look back to ancient civilizations you you can see drawings, you can see writings, you can find all sorts of evidence. And about 1930, suddenly cannabis, post the end of, of uh, Prohibition, the Americans decided cannabis was this evil plant that needed to be banned across the world, and, and it was. And yet you can see bottles of medicine from the 1920s in America where the active ingredient was cannabis. So it's yeah, it is a pretty unique situation. Canada is the role model for the rest of the world if you believe in recreational right through to, to medical cannabis. I'm certainly not, and we as a firm, and I think most of the people involved in the industry are not lobbying for recreational cannabis at this stage. But we are all undoubtedly pro-medical cannabis. Now, the doctors have got to catch up. You know, I spoke to, as I said, one of the doctors I know quite well. He's a surgeon. He spent eight years qualifying as a doctor and then 1,200 hours a week or whatever. They work as a junior <laughs> doctor. And they were never taught about cannabis. Mm. And they were never taught about the endocannabinoid system that sits within the body, which I'm going to leave to somebody who's not a lawyer to explain <laughs> further in one of your future podcasts. But you say to them, right, Charlie, what's your views on medical cannabis? And he says, I don't have one because I don't know anything about it. So there's a huge education that needs to be done to the medical practice. And you know, one of the groups we work very closely with ECH. That's a European cannabis holding. They, they're working with Mike Barnes, who's the doctor that prescribed medical cannabis for Alfie Dingwall, to train doctors. So that 
that's a really positive step. And yeah, education is key around this whole industry. Mm. And yeah, the, the, the more doctors, and funny enough, I got an email this morning from a GP in London who's just emailed me and said, I know you're active in medical cannabis. Can we speak? I want to know more. It's interesting that that email's come to a law firm this morning as opposed to going to the MHRA or the BMO, BMA or whoever it may be. So it's the beginning. We're working with groups out of Canada. We're working with groups out of the US. We're working with groups out of Australia. And what the, you know, Australia legalized medical cannabis five years ago, Canada the same. And what they're saying is the teething problems that we're having in the UK legally and practically are exactly the same as they had and that it will all sort itself out over time. Yeah. So certainly, you know, just because the law changes doesn't mean everyone's ready to go on day one. And one of the things that I've learned over kind of getting involved in this space is, is education, as mm. you say. So great, the law has changed, but if doctors don't know what to do and how to prescribe, then there's still that barrier to overcome. So that will take time, but it's good that the ball is rolling. And look, you're going to have interested parties. Do big pharmaceutical companies want people who've been spending billions of dollars on Prozac and all the other antidepressants suddenly being treated with, well, here's a dose of medical cannabis? There's all sorts of conspiracy theories, (laughs) but, but actually you can see that the interplay is going to be really interesting because Big Pharma is hugely powerful. But what we've already seen is tobacco companies buying into large cannabis companies and drinks companies, alcohol companies. So, yeah, this will evolve. I'm sure the pharmaceutical industry will embrace ultimately what's going on and doctors will get better training and I hope we'll be doing this again in a couple of years and the environment will look slightly different. Absolutely. So I think we touched on a couple of things and it would just be good to... To highlight to, to, to everyone, hemp and CBD and what their legal status is, because hemp, you hear about it, it's kind of wonder material, but no one's quite sure what it is, or a lot of people aren't. And then CBD, even more so, I think, is being marketed as a cure-all for for every single ailment you can imagine. You know, you're not, you're not here to sort of give us the, the, the medical background, but it'd be good to understand the legal status in relation to both of those. So hemp is a plant that's been growing in the UK since, you know, there's, there's all sorts of evidence of hemp clothing and hemp ropes and hemp everything from the 800, 900 right the way through till it went out of fashion. So hemp is, as we said, cannabis. It's a strain of cannabis that is produced using seeds that have a very low THC level. Legally, the seeds have to be less than 0.2% THC and there's a, an approved list of seeds. So you can grow hemp in the UK. There's this strange anomaly in the law at the moment where you can grow hemp, you can process hemp seeds, you can process hemp, the the fibrous material, but you can't process the flowers without a narcotics license. Despite them not having any intoxicating or supposedly not. Supposedly not. So it doesn't make sense to me. Um, It's one of a number of things in the law that doesn't make sense to me at the moment. So what you're finding is that the CBD that's being sold in the UK, whether it be CBD oil or drinks, whatever it may be, is being imported. So it's either coming from Switzerland or it's coming from the US. So that doesn't really make sense to me. So you get a hemp license, costs you 500 quid to make the application, you get your farm, you get your security. Anyone that tries to break in and smoke the stuff is going to get really disappointed. Um, but you can't process the flour without the next degree of license, which is a yeah, restricted substance license. That's something which there's quite a campaign around because 
hemp's good for the environment. It's an amazing, versatile plant. It does great things. We're working with a guy at the moment who has just built an entire farmhouse from hemp. Wow. Yeah, really cool. He decided he wanted to do something good for the environment and has managed to make, working with Cambridge University, hemp, corrugated hemp, hemp walls, hemp bricks, hemp crete. Mm-hmm. And they built a whole house from hemp. Fantastic. So, yeah, hemp is being used, but from a CBD oil point of view. Now, let's move on to CBD, the wonder drug of wonder drugs that everybody says cures everything, but nobody can make any medical claims about. So most of the CBD being sold in the UK at the moment is being sold as a health supplement. You go into Holland and Barrett, you pick up a bottle. It doesn't say anything other than this is CBD, put three drops under your tongue before you go to bed. It doesn't make any of the health claims. It doesn't make any of the stuff that everybody else is talking about. So it's an interesting situation. You could go and get it licensed if you wanted to go and prove that CBD helps you sleep well and CBD helps with joint pains and CBD helps with recovery from sport and all the other areas which I know through anecdotal evidence it works. But you can't say that. So you walk into Boots and you pick up a bottle of CBD oil and it just says CBD oil and you've got all these influences on Instagram and Facebook and extolling its virtues. You know, we're working with a group in Camden who produce a really high-quality CBD oil. They're very active in the MMA uh, space. And the mixed martial arts governing body have said CBD's fine. A lot of the athletes are using it for recovery. We're working with another group. I was out with them last night. And they are, well, they're Canadians. And a lot of the ice hockey players are using it for recovery. I take it every night before I go to bed. I sleep better. Yeah. I do. Maybe it's a placebo. Maybe it's not, but I can tell you since I started taking it, I sleep better. Yeah. So you've got this area and then you've got this novel foods issue, which mm. is just coming up in, in Europe and we'll see where that goes. Could you um, elaborate a bit on that? No, from a high level, I understand it's not entirely clear. Novel foods are foods or things that are used in food that haven't been around for very long and haven't been tested and theoretically they need to go through the same testing as olive oil went through when it was first certified fit for humans there is an argument that cannabis has been around for a very long time so it's not a novel food the european union are having a look at it we may or may not decide what sort of brexit we're going to have or we may still be in the european union when we do this again in a couple of years that's a European directive, mm-hmm. and we'll have to just watch this space as to where that goes. Okay. So if it gets deemed novel food, then... Then you could see it coming off the shelves right. to go off and be tested, and then you could see it coming back with people actually making claims of what it does. Or I think people will just continue doing what they're doing at the moment, which is saying it's a health supplement, and take it in the same way nobody says what vitamin B does for you. Mm. I guess with the... The problem or, or an issue that arises out of that kind of grey area health supplement is whilst there are some genuine products on the market, there is also plenty of room for some snake oil merchants to, to thrive. And quality assurance is probably something that all consumers want in the long run, I think. Yes. And I hope it's something that gets legislated in due course. Again, I'm not a doctor. I've just spent a bit of time around the space. If you're going to buy medical cannabis you're buying medical cannabis if you're buying cbd you don't really know what you're getting yeah even if you look on the bottles most of it is pretty unclear Mm. so what are you looking for what you're looking for is 
a certified GMP product, which is good manufacturing process, you're also looking ideally for something that's organic. In a way, you're also looking for something, I think, that sensibly priced. If you're buying a bottle of CBD oil for a fiver, when people are selling it for £50, you've got to kind of work out that's most likely not going to be what you want. But similarly, there is now mass market CBD. Holland and Barrett, I think it's £9 a bottle. Mm. Boots, similarly. So do your research. But it is a minefield. I think there's about 300... Wow. Somebody said to me, different manufacturing companies selling CBD. Yeah. You can't buy it on Amazon at the moment. You can't buy it on Facebook. That's going to change, I think, in due course. So, again, I mean, looking at the crazy laws around the world. So, in the US, until the end of last year, CBD that we've been talking about was not legal. You were allowed to call it activated hemp, but the whole CBD industry was illegal. Yeah, you could go and buy 20% super skunk. Like your local dispensary. Yeah, and fly around the room for, for eight hours. The Farm Act was passed in the US just before Christmas. Again, I'm not a US lawyer. It's early days, but that is going to significantly open up CBD into the US. And that's, and that's primarily to help hemp help and the farmers. And therefore, and therefore CBD. Correct. So that's a good segue actually into just to kind of give us a brief high level of, of what's going on in North America because huge numbers are coming out of Toronto and various things going on in various US states. But if you can just highlight, I guess, a bit about what's going on there, that would be really useful, I think. So let's take the easy one first, Canada. Mid-October, Canada went recreational legal. I was there the day it happened on business. That was an interesting 24 hours. <laughs> there were these massive cannabis parties at midnight. In fact, everyone ran out of cannabis. <laughs> so completely legal. You go and buy it either on, online through the... Most of it is state-run at the moment or provincially run. Again, they've gone backwards to go forward. So a lot of the dispensaries that were there... Because it was decriminalised many years ago. But a lot of the dispensaries that were there got closed down because it's been taken under the control of the licensing boards. So recreational is legal, CBD is legal. Interestingly, edibles and drinks are not yet legal. They took another year on that because they were concerned about children. And so, just, and just for, for, for everyone's benefit, edibles are what they say they are. So any kind of food stuff with cannabis in it. Chocolate, yeah, gummy bears, yeah. So there's obviously uh, there's greater risk for it appealing to children, I suppose. So correct. So that that is currently, I think, due to happen in a year's time. So fully legal, medical, all four buckets that we talked about. The US has, as you probably know, two levels of law. You have federal and you have state. The government, the federal government, cannabis is illegal. At state level, they've all gone off and made their own rules starting in California and Colorado, spreading like wildfire. I don't know what the current number is. It's somewhere around 20, 21 states. I think you might be as high as 30, actually. But there you go. Yeah. I know there were at the last elections in November, a lot of states had it on, on the electoral bill. So strange, really strange situation. So let's take somebody who owns a dispensary, which is just a posh name for a shop selling cannabis, and some of the shops are stunning. You know, you walk in and you... You're in an Apple store. So you can sell cannabis. You can't take a credit card because credit cards cross the country. So everything's cash. And you can't put the money in the bank because all of the banks tend to be 
across the country. And you can't take the money across state lines because that's illegal. So what you had and have currently is these huge vaults where companies are putting the money they're making in cash. Credit unions which tend to be state by state, are starting to take cash. And I understand that that issue is starting to be less of an issue. So medical cannabis, again, state by state at the moment. We just talked about CBD having been illegal and now becoming legal. So the US is a real, a mess is the wrong word, completely the wrong word. It's a real hodgepodge of regulation. Mm. I was talking to an American client of ours last week, and their view is for as long as you've got a republic government, you're unlikely to see cannabis legalised at the federal level. But if you get a democratic government, it's highly likely, given the flow, mm. that you'll see yeah, the federal barriers come down. Yeah, And I mean, it's good to highlight that sort of divergence between federal and, and, and state law. And as I understand it, because of the federal prohibition, a lot of the companies that, that as you say, operate at a federal level can't get involved. So the huge US companies are kind of almost sitting on the sidelines, although some of them, some of the drinks companies and tobacco companies have made modest investments. Well, not so modest. <laughs> I mean, it's all relative. Yeah. Four billion pound investment. No, true. From one of the drinks companies is a pretty big investment. Yeah. I mean, that's modest to me, but... Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, no, you're right. That's that's a big investment. But I, what I like to, to view it in is because the big guys are not kind of going for Jumping help in. for it, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a good area for entrepreneurship because, you know, the little guys have a bit of a chance to, to get things going before the big guys come and squash them. And you've got this interesting thing where you can't list an American cannabis company on the New York Stock Exchange. Mm. You can list Canadian. Yes. So all of the successful large Canadian companies now listing on the New York Stock Exchange. But because it's federally illegal, you can't list an American producer. Right. So it's just this really weird interplay between the continent. That's cool. Thank you. So look, again, another big topic, and without going into huge detail, and and probably the best way to to ask this question is around about what's happening in Europe is, who are the more progressive states in Europe Mm. and who are possibly the more conservative, less progressive states? Again, every country has a different regulatory environment. We've just sponsored the Prohibition Partners Producer, a European cannabis report, free to download anybody that wants to understand a bit more about the European legal framework. And that's an amazing publication where they look at each and every jurisdiction from a legal point of view, each of the buckets, what's going on, and a publication we're really proud to have been associated with. Actually, it was launched at Davos last week. Mm. Who would have thought you'd have a cannabis enclave at Davos <laughs> while the world is talking about Brexit and Trump and yeah, trade sanctions? I think the cannabis enclave was pretty well attended. Germany is at the forefront of medical cannabis, very much the centre currently of medical cannabis. Holland, you know, everyone thinks of Amsterdam and where did we go when we were 18 and we wanted to uh, indulge, you jumped on a plane and you went to Amsterdam because you couldn't do it in England. Strange enough, not the whole of Holland is legal. The largest producer of cannabis in Europe is a Dutch company called Vedricat. Vast amounts of cannabis being grown for the medical market across Holland. Spain is looking at decriminalising cannabis, another if we stuck a sign on the room that we're in now and said this is a cannabis club and we all invited all of our friends to come and bring their own cannabis and have a an evening drinking wine and smoking cannabis, in Spain that's legal. 
Right. As long as it's a cannabis club. Yeah. You walk down the street, it's illegal. They are granting licenses for growing. Portugal is granting licenses for growing and looking at their whole decriminalisation. Greece has just issued the first two growing licenses. In fact, we're working with one of the two groups looking to list our name later in the year. We're working with groups that have got licenses, as I said, in Portugal, in Spain, Greece. We're working with a number of groups who've got their medical licenses in Macedonia. Malta is trying to position itself as well in the European Union, as a place to grow cannabis. Guess which is the only country in Europe that has legalised recreational cannabis? Luxembourg. Correct. <laughs> Bizarre. Yeah, this little country in the middle of those huge countries we just talked about decided out of the blue almost <laughs> to legalise cannabis. So Luxembourg, the only place in Europe. Italy is moving very fast towards decriminalisation they're calling it legalisation light at the moment. So what they're doing is they're increasing the levels of THC that you can have in whatever it is you sure. want to smoke. So are the, the notable exception there is is France, I guess. So are they, are they the cannabis Luddites of, yeah. of Europe? They are. Interesting, Cannabis Europa, which is a big education conference that we're involved in. They're doing one in Paris and one in London. We're sponsoring the London conference. The Paris conference, I think they probably picked Paris for that very reason. Mm. Um, France are definitely behind, but again, looking and making noise about looking. And then I don't know whether you consider Israel as Europe or the Middle East, they play in the Euros. So for me, that's, <laughs> they're allowed to play in the European Championships and the, and the European Song Contest, Eurovision Song Contest. But everyone's allowed in there. Exactly. <laughs> Australia's in Europe for that, right at the epicentre of, of particularly on the technology yeah. side, but a landmark decision on Sunday in the parliament to allow the export of medical cannabis. Yeah. So Israel, very much at the centre of... Yeah. Yeah, definitely there's lots of interesting things in Israel. As I, I, I think I read a report where the, the usage of cannabis is in, in right. Israel is... It's the highest in the world by some distance, actually. That's a really good roundup of, of, of what's going on in Europe. So I guess a bit about what you guys as a law firm are doing in this space. Mm. And, and one of the interesting angles, I mean, which applies to, to individuals, but it, but it certainly would apply to you as a firm, is did you view any kind of risk in, in getting into this area, either reputationally or, or, or otherwise? Yeah, I'm sure there's a number of my partners that wonder what I'm doing all day, meeting wonderfully interesting people. There is a line that we've been very careful to stay. As I said to you, we've never and have no interest in campaigning for legalisation of recreational cannabis. I believe passionately, and you'd be amazed how many of my colleagues in the building have friends with autoimmune diseases or with epilepsy or with, unfortunately, cancer, and who have all got an interest in the medical side of cannabis. So, as I said, we came into this via Ananda, and yeah, Melissa Sturgis, the CEO, there is a very long-standing client of mine. So we, we got very, very comfortable legally right at the beginning that what we could do and what we couldn't. What we've seen since then is I think we've got 16 active cannabis instructions at the moment. As I said, I, by trade, am a corporate finance lawyer, which means we help companies raise money. And the one thing you need if you're going to be in the cannabis space is money because it's expensive to grow and it's expensive to process and it's expensive to produce. What are we doing? We're working with a group who are applying for some licenses in Colombia. They've also got a lighting business, a specialist lighting. We're working with a group with licenses in Greece looking to come to the stock exchange. We're working with another group who've got licenses across most of the European countries we talked about, 
looking to go to the main market. We're working with a couple of pharmaceutical companies, cannabis pharmaceutical companies, listed in Australia, looking at secondary listings in the UK for their products. As I said, Australia is ahead of us, and we've naturally dual-listed Australian resources companies, so it's the same path. What's been really interesting for us, and something I probably didn't expect when we started this, is we're heavily involved in applying for licences. I was going to say, so you predominantly would have gone into it on a sort of corporate level, but Correct. you're uh, having to get involved in the, the regulatory yeah. licensing. Yeah, and it's it's really fascinating. And as I said, there was an article this morning that a medical cannabis license has been issued, which is great news because there was this smoke and mirrors. Will another license ever be issued or does GW have them all? Hopefully those, yeah, if you meet the criteria, you'll get a license. So we're doing some of that. With that comes planning. Our real estate guys are involved. So it's just really interesting. We've got consultants helping us on the pharmaceutical side. Again, did we think we'd be <laughs> helping clients apply for pharmaceutical licenses? No. So it's it's just going off in all areas. And as I said, we're working with an amazing entrepreneur who's built a house out of hemp. <laughs> Probably someone you should interview on your podcast. Absolutely, yeah. So it, it's really eclectic. I'm probably having three or four meetings a day. Wow. What was yesterday? Yesterday we were helping a member of the landed gentry, an earl who has a large farm in the north of England, looking to find a North American partner to come to help him grow cannabis. He'd been approached last year by an American group who'd found him because he's got lots of of, of greenhouses. We got approached yesterday by a very well-known property developer who's teamed up with a Canadian and they've they're working with a, a lettuce farmer who wants <laughs> to apply for a cannabis license. So that's been a re- quite an unexpected area. I'm still not convinced I understand why people want to grow cannabis in the UK. Mm. And then at the other end of the spectrum, I've always had an African practice. Yeah, we've done a lot of work in the emerging markets. And I've got one long-standing client now who's got licenses in Lesotho. Those of you who don't know where Lesotho is, which will be most of you, because why would you? Unless you're in the mining industry, that is a mountain in the middle of South Africa that is a self-governed kingdom and the first place in Africa that legalised cannabis. And there's been quite a number of, of Canadian investments into it. So I've got clients that have got licenses in Lesotho, Zambia. One of my clients yesterday sent me a license in French. I can't quite work out what it's for, but it said cannabis. So I'm guessing he's picked up a cannabis license in French West Africa. For very good growing climates. Well, this is the thing. And as is Colombia which is why a lot of the Canadian companies have spent a lot of money in Colombia. Mm. What's interesting is, yeah, you talked about reputational. Yeah, we're working with a group in Colombia and a group in Jamaica. And you think back to when we were all told that cannabis is bad and you know, we've all watched Narcos. It's quite interesting doing legal cannabis in, in Colombia. And the client said to me, can you find us a lawyer? So you type in cannabis lawyer Colombia into Google and you get all these, you know, stories of narcos being yeah sprung out of jail for their their but actually I managed to find because it is legal and they're doing a licensing round a very yeah eminent lawyer who specialises in that. So it's just fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. And it's it's really good that you guys are open to, to taking those risks and getting involved in all kinds of stuff. And yeah, like, well, as I said to you, if somebody walked in today and we've had it a number of times, can we act on the recreational side? We've got to get comfortable. And actually what's interesting is 
from a legal point of view, the biggest impediment for acting for Canadian companies that are producing both recreation and medical wanting to come into the UK is the Proceeds of Crime Act. It's called poker. And the perceived wisdom, certainly on the deals that we've been involved with in the early days, was that it had to be legal in the UK and legal in the country it's being done. So if you had money from a Canadian company that had come from their recreational business, you couldn't then invest that into a UK business. Right. Interesting. However, we're hoping that we found, or we have found, an eminent QC who has a different view on poker that basically says as long as it's legal in the country it's being done, then the fact that it's not legal in the UK means that because it was not a crime where the proceeds were generated... You can bring that money into the UK. And we're working with one very large listed Canadian group who are going to be doing just that. And you're starting to see, you know, Canopy and Aurora talking at all the conferences in the UK. And So just, just for everyone's benefit, Canopy and Aurora, to the two biggest yeah. cannabis companies in the listed in Toronto and both worth upwards of £10 billion each? Correct. Yeah. So major players. One announced a deal yesterday to fund research in the UK. You know, one of the areas we're really hoping to do more in, and this will happen over time, is that the clients we're working with who are getting licenses, they're all going to be doing medical research. And actually, we're working with an Israeli group who are just about to launch a pharmaceutical and approved API for Crohn's disease, which is one of those autoimmune diseases that a number of my colleagues have got in the building. So it's it's real, you know. People whose parents, family, friends are going through chemotherapy, mm. the the positive effect of medical cannabis oil to counteract the side effects of chemo is just you know stuff we want to be involved in, stuff we want to be associated with. So I absolutely get the point on a risk profile, but we see it as a huge positive. It's great. That's really great. We're kind of getting towards the end now, but what I could talk about this for days. <laughs> so good I. One one thing and um, part of this podcast that I'm really interested in is around career and industry change. And obviously, I've been looking at, at this new area myself and, and hence set up this podcast. What advice would you give anyone that's looking to start a business or move into this, this new exciting industry? Jumping with both feet. Look, it's so exciting. It, we as a firm have always acted for entrepreneurs. That's the basis of memory crystal. Behind most of our large public company clients, there is an individual. Because of the risk profile that we've talked about, most of the Canadian multi-billion dollar companies have an entrepreneur that sits behind as the individual. There's just such an opportunity. I met four guys in their early 20s last week who've got an online CBD business. They're turning over £50,000 a month. It's not to be sniffed at. Mm. And they're just beginning. Educate yourself. Go spend some time in Canada if you're able to. Read. Once you get into this industry, you become a little bit obsessive. Everyone I speak to, you've got the bug, I've got the bug. Amazing stuff online. You know, lots of TED Talks, lots of YouTube, lots of, I mean, you know, Vice, some crazy dude trying to go to the the source of the original mother plant in the Congo and ends up... (laughs) dying of malaria in his heart. Books. But you know what there wasn't, and it's why I was so keen to be involved this morning with what you're doing, is there was not a basic cannabis podcast in the UK. Yeah, in Canada, you've got cannabis radio. You've got these guys going off to, and today we're in this 20,000 acre facility growing. But there's nothing UK-centric, and that's why I think what you're doing is, is just another really important part of the industry, and I commend you for it, because I know... Thank you very much. You have a day job. So if I was looking to get into this, I'd, I'd 
jump in with both feet here. I think this is the end of prohibition. Whichever way you look at it, whether you look at it from a medical point of view, from a CBD point of view, from a pharmaceutical point of view, and if you're in North America from a recreational point of view, this is a a drug that we were all taught in school was really bad for you and it made you psychotic. And then, yeah, the reality is nobody's ever overdosed on cannabis. You might eat too much pizza and sleep for a couple of days. So there's just a complete re-education going on. And so find the truth. What? I think the key takeaway from now is listen to this podcast. Um... <laughs> and subscribe. Press yes. the subscribe yeah, button. Press the subscribe button. Cool. So my last question, and I've been asking my other guests this, is what did your family say when you said I'm working in cannabis or I'm working with cannabis companies? They weren't surprised. Look, as I said to you, we've got I've got a personal interest mm. in cannabis. So we've been having the conversation a long time before it hit my professional life through Olivia's vision, through the charity that we run. We fund all sorts of clinical trials and we knew what was going on. So from that point of view, this wasn't a big jump for me. My 15 and 18-year-old, who are normal 15 and 18-year-olds and doing what normal 15 and 18-year-olds do, they're being educated. And I think, I think hopefully, I think it's kind of cool. Cool. That's good. I hope so too. Um, thank you, Nick. It's been really good chatting to you and it's great to sort of touch on lots of different topics. Hopefully everyone found that very useful. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Okay, so that's episode two done. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did like it, please share and like and all of those sort of things. And if you do get a spare moment, we would great if you could rate and review the podcast as this really helped to spread the word. So I'll leave you now and we've got a great episode coming up next about cannabis and how it affects the body. Mm-hmm.